You're listening to The Higher Ed Marketer, the podcast for marketing professionals in higher education. Join us every week as we talk to the industry's greatest minds in student recruitment, donor relations, marketing trends, new technologies, and much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where marketing in higher ed is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast. I'm Troy Singer, and again here with my co-host and good friend, Bart Kaler. Today we talk to Teresa McGregor-Lovett. She is the Vice President of Enrollment Management for Jacksonville University, and she does an excellent job of describing to all of our listeners how they successfully, with a small team, increase enrollment and market a private liberal arts college. I think there are tidbits throughout this episode that marketers of any size can glean from. Yeah, I love this conversation, Troy. I think the fact that uh, Teresa really brings some some really wise uh, information to us and and really pragmatic and practical advice. I, I think that the idea of you know being authentic, dealing you know removing silos and 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 working with a, a small team and how that team is positioned within the structure of the university, some really good advice that I think just about anybody can walk away with really good things to apply. So here is Teresa McGregor Lovett. Teresa, before we get into the conversation of what you're doing as a wonderful Finn at Jacksonville University, would love for you to share a story that you may have learned or something that is fun that you could share with our audience to get us started. Absolutely. Interestingly, last weekend, I was in Washington State, and I learned that Washington State State Gym is a fossil. So their state gym is petrified wood. (laughs) And so they're actually not the state with the most petrified wood. That's Arizona. But then I learned all about how petrified wood was created and how, you know, wood submerged in water and the lava flow comes in and the lack of oxygen creates this situation environment where the wood cannot rot and then because of the water it can't burn and it petrifies and due to the minerals it turns all different colors and uh, that is washington state's state gym that's fascinating yeah it is and it's probably very selfish on my part but that's the reason why i asked that question i just hope (laughs) the audience and bart get as much enjoyment and get as much knowledge out of it that i do so thank you very much Teresa, would love for you to tell us a little bit about Jacksonville University and then your role there. Yeah, absolutely. So we are a private nonprofit uh, university located in North Florida. Um, We have about 4,000 students and um, are located on the beautiful St. John's River. So we're very fortunate to have a a beautiful campus. Um, And I have the good fortune of being the vice president of enrollment for the university. So I lead our undergraduate recruitment and admissions, graduate recruitment and admissions, our financial aid office and student accounts office. 
That's wonderful. I also don't want to overlook the fact that you have a beach on campus that your students take <laughs> advantage of. We do. We are very fortunate to have a lovely beach that overlooks the, the St. John's River, and it faces west. So we have the most incredible sunsets every evening, and uh, our sailing team is out there, and uh, we have some ability for students to, to do some um paddle boarding and that kind of thing out there on the beach. So it, it is a lovely location. I'm sure a couple of pictures of those things do make it to the view book every once in a while. <laughs> every once in a while we share that. And, and I, before... I would be remiss in saying that also the dolphins will show up on cue sometimes. So um, we have dolphins <laughs> that go down the river. And since that's our, our mascot, we take full advantage of that as well. That's great. Thank you, Teresa. And one last thing before we get into it, your journey of being the vice president of enrollment isn't the typical one. If you can just touch on that, because I think that sets a foundation for the rest of our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I would I would say I have a pretty unique journey into enrollment management. Um, I am a JU alum. Um, I graduated um, in 1994 with a, a nursing degree. And I went on to to practice in the neonatal intensive care unit and then went on to earn a a master's degree and a PhD from the University of Florida um, in nursing. And so spent a lot of time working as a pediatric nurse practitioner. And I um, practiced for about 15 years in pediatric neurosurgery. I was actually recruited back to the university to replace my pediatric instructor who retired. Um, and asked me to come back and and take her position and to start teaching. And so um, I did that and uh, started moving into our graduate programs and some leadership roles and had the opportunity to to really start learning a lot more about um, recruitment and marketing and communications and how all those things go together. And during COVID, um, I was asked by the president to take on, on this role, leading admissions. And you know, I thought, what what could go wrong? We're in the middle of a <laughs> pandemic, and sure, sounds like a great opportunity, um, but it, it's been really fabulous. Thank you, and we ask our guests to share how they got into higher ed, because more often than not, it's not a way that one may think, and we hope that other audience members can kind of uh, take a little bit from your journey. One thing that we do want to talk about is the success that you've been having in increasing enrollment, especially with when we're hearing about the enrollment cliff and how that's going to affect negatively small to medium-sized schools. So we'll love for you to give us a snapshot on some of the success that you've had and then also some of the things that you think contribute to that success. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we have been been fortunate um, to be able to um, increase our first-time freshman um, enrollment as well as grow our graduate programs. Um, and, and we feel very good about those efforts during this, you know, pretty demanding and, and stressful time um, with, with lots of things happening, obviously, in, in our country and worldwide that, that has negatively affected that. Um, and, you know, I think our kind of key to success has been 
really showing ourselves who we are authentically um, and using techniques to, to reach out and, and reach students really all over the country and all over the world. Depending on the year, we have anywhere from 45 states to 50 states represented, 54 different countries. And so we've really tried to go outside of our, our region to really reach students from all over the country and to have programs that, that we think that they would be really interested in, taking that to them so that we can present ourselves and then really highly encouraging them to come and, and visit us. As we talked about, you know, having such an ideal location, um, we really work hard to get students and families on campus so they can experience it for them themselves. We can show great pictures and show videos, mm -hmm. but it, it's nothing like actually being in a location. Most schools would say, if I can get them on campus, there's a good chance I can get them there. And so that's that's kind of what a lot of people, certainly having a campus like yours adds to that a lot. But I think one thing that I want to kind of point out is that it takes work, though, to get them to that step of the funnel. I mean, to get them to come for a campus visit, no matter if they've already applied or if they've just done, you know, if they're an inquiry, that idea of getting them to campus and one, getting their attention, I think, is is critical. So tell me a little bit about that internal marketing team, because, I mean, I believe you'd said in our pre-interview, you guys are really using, you know, being able to tell stories and being able to share those stories. And I know that we were introduced to you through Alex Boylan and the college tour, and they do a great job of storytelling. Just unpack that a little bit about how you are approaching storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I agree. We're very fortunate um, to be chosen to be on the, the college tour and um, it was great for Alex as well, um, as he is also a JU alum. Yeah. Um, and so he was able to, to come back and tell the story, I think, in a very authentic way. And that is really what we focus in on. So we have an internal marketing and, and communications team um, that we have a communications team that's embedded within admissions. And then our marketing team is part of the university, but we have a very um, dedicated team to admissions specifically. Um, and we find that we can tell our story best because they are embedded in the university, in the culture. They understand it. They live it every mm -hmm. day. So I really think we're very fortunate to, to have that set up. And it really gives us an advantage because we also use our students to tell our stories. So the marketing team or the communications team can reach out to a student walking by and um, mm -hmm. get something spontaneous or have a student, you know, take a spontaneous video of something happening on campus. And we utilize all of that. Um, we great. think it, it's really important. So I know a lot of people are probably dying to ask and they're, they're, they're saying, Bart, please ask this. How big is your team and, and how is that in relationship to your, your FTE student population? Yeah, so we actually have a very small team. Being a smaller university, um, we work together. We don't work in silos. Um, mm -hmm. we, we all come together. So we actually have two people embedded in admissions that are our communications team. And they, um, they handle the communications for both the undergraduate and the graduate population. Um, and then we have about four people on the marketing team who work with admissions, but they also carry some, some other um, responsibilities as, mm -hmm. as well. So I think even though we have a very small team, because we are all really, really focused in on what we're doing when we've been able to be 
really successful in producing um, great marketing materials that, again, just show who we are. Um, and we're able to speak with one voice so that mm -hmm. when students and families come in, the voice that they, they hear during the admissions process is going to be the same um, that they have throughout their, their time at the university. We could talk the rest of the time just about that. And I think that's really great for you to be able to unpack that because I think that that you, you did what I was hoping that it was a small team, but you're working together and you're working out of the same you know, songbook, if you will. And I think that makes a big impact. Help me understand too, because I know sometimes a lot of marketers will say, okay, small team, I understand that silos. Yeah, I can get that. But boy, I have a hard time sometimes with, uh, you know, the product. I know you guys have some unique, um, unique courses and unique areas of study that you've identified that, that are growing and that are helpful. I don't think that some of them are that far different than maybe some of our listeners have. I mean, yeah, you probably have some marine biology and other things like that that maybe other schools might not have. Unpack that a little bit because I, I'm fascinated with the fact that you've identified some of these flagship programs and you're you're leading with those. Where I've been in some meetings sometimes where, you know, you might have a dean or a provost say, "Well, we're not going to lead with anything. Everybody's equal here." But in reality, that's not the way marketing works, and it's not the way the business of higher education works. So help me understand a little bit about some of those flagship programs that you talk about. So we are, are very fortunate to have a great product to, to put out yeah. there, which certainly makes the, the job easier. And so we have you know, five colleges, and within those colleges, 12 schools and, and four institutes. Um, but we have some pretty unique, again, not working in silos, partnerships um, between them. So we have our, our Stein College of Fine Arts and Humanities, where we have really world-class musicians, performers, artists um, in, in that college. Um, we have a glass-blowing program, which is, is highly unique, that has produced some absolutely beautiful work. But I think what we have the ability to do is then we have a Davis Business and Technology College. And so those colleges come together and we have an institute called the STEAM Institute. So it's a, it's a playoff STEM, you know, so your traditional science, technology, engineering, mathematics, but we added the A into it to infuse it with art in mm. design thinking. And so how can you take two colleges like that that are, are somewhat traditional in nature and have your traditional business programs but then you you develop things like fintech and cyber cybersecurity game design object design um, and you take those things and blend them across colleges so again we're no longer siloed um, mm -hmm. and so we have some really unique opportunities for students to to be in an area that Hey, maybe I'm gonna, you know, I'm super interested in engineering, but then I have this object, our visual um, object design, um, going along with that um, in in design thinking. So, um, we're very fortunate to have um, a very innovative provost and innovative deans who look and say, okay, what? How do we offer the best experience for the student? Mm -hmm. And it's not to have all of our, our colleges separate from each other. I love the fact that you can also be so articulate about that. And I think that goes from the storytelling, not being siloed, being able to, you know, generate that messaging and understand these are the points that we're going to, you know, I know a lot of people don't like this word, but we're going to sell and we're going to lead with these types of things. And I, and I love that. I think that's really well done. So thanks for that inspiration. 
you had mentioned earlier that you are growing graduate programs and would love to know how you're leaning or utilizing some of your traditional liberal arts and maybe combining it with some of the professional programs to help either launch or jumpstart or grow the graduate programs that you mentioned before. Yeah, so we have a, a really um, unique balance um, between that. About a third of our students are graduate students, and all of our colleges have um, graduate programs embedded um, within them. But so we look for ways to how can we take our undergraduate programs and set students up for success? So whether it's through a health sciences program on the undergrad level, um, that, that's very broad and students can take all the electives that they need to set them up to be on a pre-physical therapy track or occupational therapy, speech language pathology, pre-med. And then we have all of those graduate programs for students to move into um, if they choose to. So we have all the rehabilitation sciences graduate programs. We've been very fortunate that in 2026, um, with a partnership with the Lake Erie College of Medicine, that we will have a college of medicine um, on campus that students will, will be moving into. Um, marine science. We have a marine science undergraduate program with a, a tremendous partnership with OSEARCH, um, a, a shark tagging um, nonprofit that, that also does you know, social um, research. And we partner them and then students can move right into the marine science graduate programs, um, pre-law into our College of Law. So we've worked very hard to, to marry those, those things together. Um, and even in our College of, of Fine Arts, we have two graduate programs that, that students are able to move into. Um, because many times that's, you know, the, the undergraduate education is setting those students up for that path um, or to be prepared to, to go into industry. So whichever that choice is, we want to make sure that our students are, are prepared and ready to go. That's great. And I think that right there is certainly going to generate more stories um, because, I mean, you've got the outcomes and you just need to talk to those alumni. And so, uh, you know, as we go through this, we often try to be very pra practical and pragmatic. And I'm going to point out some things that as you're talking about things, it's like, OK, here's an opportunity to, for our audience to be able to you know, take what you've said. Talk to them. Just like you said, you've got a very small team. You're embedded. You can talk to those people. You can find out more information. And I, and I love the fact that you're all doing that. So tell me a little bit, too, about when whether it's undergrad or graduate as they're coming and you've got these unique programs. You've got, you've got a great product. You're getting people to campus. Um, you know, you, you mentioned early on in the conversation that you were in Washington State last week. I mean, that's the opposite end of the country. But I'm sure when you were there, you might have had an opportunity to talk with someone about, you know, Jacksonville. But if they're in Washington State making the trip all the way to Jacksonville University, that, that's beyond what the typical, you know, 85 percent of students, you know, go to school within the, you know, you know two hours of their home. What do you guys do with that as, as far as, you know, being able to use that as a marketing technique? 
Yeah, and so we, we do feel like it's really important for students to visit, like, you know, we, we talked about. And so we do offer um, students and families a visit scholarship. And so we offer a $1,000 scholarship if they come and visit and then come to school. And then they can use that that scholarship over all four years of their, their time at the university. Um, so whatever we can do to, again, just encourage students and bring them in, I think our leadership team is also very keenly aware that when we are out, um, we are always talking about the university and it's not unusual at all for the provost to come back and say, oh, I was I was in Atlanta last week and this person's going to be contacting you about um, a, a niece or a nephew coming in. And so I think whatever we can do always to, to get the word out, because we are a smaller institution, we take a very individualized approach um, to our recruitment and admissions. So we always tell our students, you know, you're not a number coming in, you won't be a number coming here. And mm-hmm. um, so our, our recruiters, our admissions counselors, they know the students they're working with personally. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so we think, again, that's who we are authentically. And so that's, we want to infuse that in every step of the process. Teresa, your president sounds fascinating. I know that you mentioned earlier in our conversation before we recorded, just some of the other things that, that, uh, that he and and Mrs. Cost have done. Could you tell me more about that? Yeah. So this idea of being student centered, student focused is, is really infused in every aspect of our culture of the university. And we are very fortunate to have um, Dr. Francis Bartlett Kitty um, be our university president and then later chancellor. And uh, Dr. Kinney was the second uh, female president, university president in the country and the first in the state of Florida. Mm-hmm. And she was really known for saying, you know, life is not about me, it's about others. And she built this university truly around that that culture and this idea of being being student centered. Um, our president now, President Tim Cost, um, is an 81 alum and graduated under the leadership um, of Dr. Kinney. And so now he has taken that that mm-hmm. forward. After he graduated from the university, he went on to earn an MBA and worked in, in multiple Fortune 500 companies in the in senior leadership roles before coming back um, 10 years ago. We just celebrated his 10th anniversary on February 1st at the university. But he came back and instilled what he learned and the values that he had from Dr. Kinney and said, this is what we're doing moving mm-hmm. forward. And he believes that so much so that um, every year, at our uh, matriculation ceremony that we have for our students. He gives out his personal cell phone number to every student in the incoming class. So every student on our campus um, has the president's cell phone number and uh, they definitely use it to to send them some texts. (laughs) That's great. I, I love that. That's, I mean, what a small gesture but again, it goes back to what you said about being personalized, having personal attention. The the counselors, the admissions team are going to do that, but also to be able to have you know that access to leadership, I think is is really fascinating as well. Tell me about some of the dynamic things that he's done on campus. 
Yeah, so just truly an amazing leader and really has touched every aspect of the the student experience. Um, He and and his wife, Ms. Stephanie Cost, um, have just worked tirelessly over the last 10 years to be involved in the university, every aspect of it. Mrs. Cost will work with the fraternities and, and sorority on etiquette classes. She sits on the board. I mean, she is truly involved, and I think one of one of the first acts that they did um, coming coming back to the university, we had an old house on campus that was the the president's house, but the president hadn't lived in it for for quite some time, and so he looked at this and he said, "Okay, this is going to be the house of the students," and he turned it into the river house. And now it's got a pub in it. Oh, wow. It's got, you know, garage doors that open up to allow access to outside. But it is a space that, that's truly for the students that they can come in and, and study or hold meetings or whatever they, they need to do. And I think it just exemplifies, um, again, that idea of student focus. But then I think on the, the other side of that, he has helped the university be a true partner um, in our community. So to our Mm -hmm. city, to the corporations in in our city, we have hundreds of partnerships um, with with corporations in our our city. And that helps both of our students um, so that they can get um, real learning, experiential learning um, done. They can through internships, um, as well as it helps us stay relevant because we can say, okay, what, what are the skills you need from a workforce? Um, and we can react to that um, and ensure that we are truly preparing our students for what they're going to need in the workforce. But the workforce can also tell us, you know, what what do you need? And so we've been able to grow from the, the three colleges that we had to, again, five colleges, including a college of law bringing on a college of medicine, that type of growth just truly happens from those, those partnerships um, right. and really understanding um, what the community needs. Yeah. And I think that that's so valuable sometimes with, with a president who's actually been a student as well, being able to understand the community, you know, having experienced it that well. So uh, well done. Thank you for kind of explaining that. That's very inspiring. That is inspiring. I also would like to add something that I noticed on the College Tour episode is his warmth and approachable demeanor. And I think there is a scene with him and Alex having a wonderful, warm conversation, both holding a beer, which I I deliberately thought in my mind that I think that is purposeful and that paints Mr. Koss as a very approachable human being. I just thought that was a good moment that they shared on screen. Teresa, I would like to ask you if we could talk about the narrative that's out there, and sometimes it's not as positive, of the value of higher ed and how you address it from the perspective of an institution or maybe your thoughts on how we should address it as a community. That's a really interesting question and, and certainly a challenge that, that we're facing today. Um, and I, I think you're right. There is this narrative out there that, well, may, do we really need this higher education? Um, and, and do we have the outcomes that we should? Um, 
I think it's really going to be incumbent on higher ed professionals as a whole to to be involved in this discourse and, and to have a point of view um, that they can clearly articulate the value of a higher education. Um, it, it's more than technical skills, right? We need to prepare students um, for to be what we call world ready. So they need to be able to go out and whether that's going to graduate school, whether it's entering the workforce, they need to have some skills um, that, that they can use to do that. And I think the idea of, of partnering with your cities and corporations, like I talked about, I think that's of tremendous value there because mm -hmm. you can then help ensure that students who are graduating are, are ready. And that will then in turn have positive outcomes. But I think it, it goes a little deeper than that, even um, institutions need to ensure their relevancy, right? And so we need to ensure that we're offering the kinds of programs that are appropriate for today. Um, but then we also need to help everyone understand the value of courses in English, in philosophy, in humanities, and why it's important to be able to form an argument um, and to be able to give your point of view in any type of, of situation. And I think that those things have to start early. Um, and it, it's going to really require universities being involved in their communities um, and with the students from a very early age, not when they're 17 and you're trying to recruit them to come to your institution, but very early showing the value of education. So we can talk about it, but always showing and having young students experience that, I think is of tremendous value. So I think the more that faculty and leadership can be out in the community in schools and partnering with schools um, to, to help educate students on the value and bringing those students to the university every opportunity that you can. Um, we bring young elementary students um, into our basketball games and we honor them in, in different ways. Um, and then when they get a little bit older, we'll do tours and summer camps. Um, so I think there's a lot we can do um, as higher ed professionals to ensure that, that we are really showing everyone the value and what an education affords our entire community and truly our entire world. You keep going back to the word community. And I think that that's part of what, when higher education gets commoditized and it starts to be compared to, well, I can go online and, and earn a degree in Google and YouTube and all those arguments that are made. I think what is failed to be countered is the idea that the four years, especially in a young person's life that's that's between 18 and 22, are very, very formative years. And much of that is influenced by the community around them. And, you know, having that... Um, that experience of a, of a residential or at least a commuter type of experience where you have that. I think that's some of the articulation that's important that you're doing very well at Jacksonville that I would encourage other people to show is, is to consider is that, you know, these, these Generation Z, especially research shows that they are really geared toward doing community. They want to do life together with other people. And that's even going to be amplified with uh, Alpha that's coming up. As you've mentioned, the elementary kids right now, the kids that are in middle school, they're going to, they're going to be showing up an inquiry list in about three years. And so we've got to be prepared to 
be able to articulate and and give them those experiences of community as well. So I love I love the way you've articulated that, Teresa, and that's that's such a great great thing for for us to kind of keep in mind and have our audience recognize. Teresa, thank you for all of the knowledge and wisdom that you've offered today. I'm going to ask you one more question. If there is a piece of advice that you could offer to other marketers out there that could be implemented shortly after hearing it, what would that be? Yeah, I think there's really easy ways to, to show your authentic experience at your university. And one of those ways is to have your students tell the stories in non-scripted ways, you know? So every student's carrying around a phone that has a camera and they can take a video. And we often use that in that, um, those spontaneous events that, that students can capture and have students do that direct outreach. Um, we're not always looking for something that's super produced and, and polished. We want students telling the stories to other students. And, you know, what we have seen from research is that that high school students want to hear that messaging from other students. And so I think that's really important. So we've used um, a student in our office, Jax Jordan, and it's follow Jax Jordan. And Jordan goes around, you know, the, the university and takes little snippets. And then she's able to connect through um, TikTok and Snapchat Instagram still a little bit, but she is really out there um, giving the story of Jacksonville University student to student. And I, I think that that's a, a really great way to do that or through your student ambassadors, um, but really having students connect to the students. That's great. Teresa, thank you very much for the authenticity that you have exemplified. And I'm sure if that's an example of what you're putting out for the marketing, I can see why it is so effective. For those that would love to connect with you after hearing our conversation, what would be the best way for them to connect with you be? Yeah, absolutely. So they are more than welcome to um, email me at my JU email address. Um, that is T-M-A-C-G-R-E, like my last name, at ju.edu, um, or are certainly calling the university, um, but, but would be really happy to connect um, with, with anyone um, to talk further. Teresa, again, thank you. Bart, do you have any thoughts that you would like to offer before we close our episode? Yeah, I just want to encourage everyone to pay attention to a lot of what uh, Teresa said. There's a lot of rich, rich information in here and a, and a lot of wisdom. And a couple of things that I wanted to point out, things that you can do yourself, but then things that you might be able to uh, influence on your campus. I uh, really appreciated the authenticity. I mean, if you lead a team of, of marketers or you're part of the enrollment team or even the development team, really figure out how can you put those authentic stories out. And the, the idea that last, that last uh, tidbit of advice of getting your students involved, especially if you're going to, you know, if you're recruiting traditional undergrad or even if you're doing non-traditional students, I think the authenticity of stories is underestimated. You, you couldn't do that enough. And so I would really encourage you to consider that and, and being able to articulate that well. And sometimes I really liked what Teresa said, 
sometimes when it's not scripted, it can be the the most authentic and 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 bestly best articulated way to do it. I would also kind of uh, you know happily think about the fact that she talked a lot about you know they don't have silos, and I know that's the bane of a lot of existence. Even small micro colleges that I serve, you know, under three hundred students, I'm amazed at how many silos are in those types of institutions. You can get so much more done if everybody's on the same page, if you're working in the same and pulling in the same direction. And so whatever you can do to encourage the removal of silos, I think is going to be a really, really big deal. And it's going to ultimately impact your success all the way around. So again, thank you, Teresa. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you for taking the time today. The Higher Ed Marketer Podcast is sponsored by Kaler Solutions, an education, marketing, and branding agency, and by Ring Digital, precisely delivering your message and call to actions directly to the devices of the most valued prospective students and their parents within your enrollment funnel. On behalf of Bart and our guest, Teresa, I'm Troy Singer. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to The Higher Ed Marketer. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. The Higher Ed Marketer is a production of Kaler Solutions and Ring Digital in partnership with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by guests on The Higher Ed Marketer are their own and may not reflect the views and opinions of their organization. Know someone who's a mover and a shaker in higher ed marketing? Visit www.higheredmarketerpodcast.com and click on our Contact Us page. We'd love to have you tell us about them. Until next time.